I fell off a skateboard the other day. Now, I'm way too old to even be on a skateboard, but I fell off of a skateboard and I landed on, it was a three-point landing. It was a pretty uh, graceful landing, three-point landing. I landed on my hip, elbow, and knee, and holy buckets did it hurt, and it still hurts. And um, so if I sound like I'm wincing during the podcast, that's why. Hey, we got a lot of stuff that I'm excited to cover here on the podcast this week, and including some stories about Fallon and Lena. So I want to get right into that first this week on the podcast, and cue the music. Here we go. One of the chapters in my book is one that I really relate to with a lot of people in a lot of ways. It's um, it's let people say no. And if I was going to write an accompanying companion chapter, it would be learn how to say no without feeling like crap about it. Because you really shouldn't say no. Because you have to manage your own time. You cannot let other people manage your time for you. And they will because they'll say, well, can you do this for us on Wednesday? No. Well, what about Thursday? No, I'm busy on Thursday. Well, what about Friday? It's like... Listen, if I'm win- if I'm busy on Wednesday and Thursday, chances are I don't want to also be busy doing something on Friday, so don't ask, stop, stop asking, let people say no. So there's a chapter in the book, it's um, chapter number 89, let me pull it up here really quick, because I do like it, and it's about letting people say no, and also conversely, at, at the same time, learning to say no yourself. So when I was in ninth grade, there was a kid in my science class named Mike Fabian. Believe it or not, his dad was an astronaut who went on to fly a couple of space shuttle missions. Mike was funny, and he fit into pretty much the same junior high social category as me. Funny, somewhat dorky, invisible to girls, and a real smartass. We had a great time laughing it up in class and looking at girls we never had the chance or never had the nerve to talk to. Several times I invited Mike to my house to hang out after school. He never even came close to accepting, but I didn't let up. If he said no one day, I'd just ask him again the next day, and the next, and the next. I even found his number in the phone book once. Remember when people found numbers in the phone book? And I called him. I said, hey, you want to come over and hang out? His reasons for saying no were unclear. For all I knew, he had to be home to take care of his grandma, or he wanted nothing more than to watch reruns of Andy Griffith, or he needed to do his homework. But whatever his reasons were, I finally took the hint. Mike was a buddy at school, but had no interest in hanging out at my house. It took me a while, but I finally got it. Isn't it annoying when you get invited to lunch with someone who's about as interesting as Chinese checkers and you say, wow, I'd like to, but I've got hemorrhoid surgery that day. So he suggests another day and you mumble something about how you're so busy teaching your church youth group that you can't find time. What about next month, says the boar enthusiastically. This keeps it up until you either give in or he finally understands. The next time you run into each other, you get the cold shoulder. Okay, if you put yourself on the other side of this, stop pressuring a hesitant person. It's their loss if they don't want to hang out. Let them say no. They'll totally appreciate it. And again, feel don't feel guilty because you say no. And we've talked about this on the podcast before, but I just want to reiterate it. Learn to say no. There's a book. I've mentioned this to you before called uh, When I Say No, I Feel Guilty. And we're not going to expand on that because I don't want you to say, good God, Dave, stop talking about the same shit every week. So how does that apply to Lena and Fallon? I'm going to tell you why. And maybe this applies to you. Fallon, since she has come here, has done some really remarkable things. She's got a podcast that's got way, way more um, views and listeners, or listeners, I guess you would say, than my podcast. And she has uh, done like a bunch of different things. She's great on social media, and uh, she's, of course, great on the radio. So people will approach Fallon, usually in email, 
about once a week or maybe three or four times a week. I'm not sure. She doesn't tell me all the time. Can I pick your brain? Fallon, love to buy you coffee for five minutes. Can I pick your brain? Fallon, love to meet you for lunch. Can I pick your brain? And she gets really tired of it because she can't say yes to all these people. She just can't. But she feels rude if she says no. So Lena comes into town last week, and if you know the situation, Fallon's on maternity leave, of course, and then Lena comes in, and uh, we're talking, and I love Lena. She is like just, she's so smart, and even though we haven't seen each other like maybe once in seven years, I just admire her intellect. She's one of those smart but funny people. So we click right away, of course, and and um, just like we did back in the day, and uh, she it, she was either reading through email and it came up somehow. She's like, oh, I'm so tired of people asking if they can pick my brain for five minutes. I said, really, tell me more because Fallon gets the same thing. She says, it's never five minutes. I don't know them. She says, I love to help people. She's basically echoing Fallon, but there's nothing in it for me except the reward of helping people. And I don't have what really will turn into an hour long conversation to give people free advice. And she says, I want to, but I can't. So as it turns out, there is a way to vet the people who say, I want to pick your brain. You know that show, Adam Ruins Everything? I like that show a lot. And uh, it's kind of funny. And the guy who does it, he has to write the show, produce the show, act in the show. He does some research for the show. So he's really busy. But he gets people all the time saying, hey, I want to pick your brain. I would love to sit down with him and pick his brain and find out how do I discover my own incredible niche for an incredible video uh, that I can make tons of money off of. But Adam said, basically, you know what? I fire back at them. I say, what do you want to know? Because if I can answer it with an email, I can do it that way. I don't have time to let you pick my brain, but what do you want to know? And maybe you can give somebody some advice that way. He also said, and I thought this was really interesting. I'd love to hear how you feel about this. He said, I don't answer men and I don't answer uh, white people. He says, I answer women and I answer people of color. He says, because white people and men already have every advantage in the world, they don't need my advice. The people who need my advice are women and um, people of color. Now, I might have the, the phrasing off a little bit, but it's that's basically what he said. And I thought that was really interesting. Now, I would never discriminate that way because, hey, listen, I would feel bad if my son Carson had a friend that wanted to ask me how to get into radio or how to be such an amazing person. <laughs> and I said, you know what? I only talk to women and people of color. Well, he certainly didn't do anything wrong to not get access to my advice. So I don't know how I feel about that. How do you feel about that? I would never blame somebody for being who they are and say, you don't get what I have because you were born this way. I think that's just as bad as racism, but maybe I'm wrong. We're open for discussion here. Speaking of discussions, I I love the fact that I get emails. And last week when we talked about um, uh, the, the meaning of meaning, last week on the podcast, um, I talked about how I thought I discovered one of the most important meanings of life, and that is to have meaning. And we all want to have meaning. We want to have somebody say, you really influenced me, or you made my day, or you, you know, not, not even in a big way. Sometimes it's like you can have a great teacher that changed your life like I did. Shout out Don Dexter. Or... You can have a 
clerk at Cub, who a checker at Cub, who gives you a smile and asks you how your day was and comments on your shirt or your smile, whatever, when you're having a shitty day and people have meaning. That's why we always get so sad when somebody dies young before they really had a chance to have a whole lot of meaning. It's one of the reasons. I mean, it's just sad that they died young, but that's one of the things that makes it even sadder. When you live a long life, you have more chances to have meaning to someone. So we talked about how last week I had run into somebody who basically I knew without a doubt that I had meaning in this person's life and in their career, but they wanted to point out how I didn't have meaning. They went out of their way to point out that I did not have meaning, basically because I'm a dude and therefore dudes can have, have meanings in this person's life, which I thought was really a shame because I don't have meaning the meaning that I got with the satisfaction I got was not because I got to rub it in your face. It was something that I carried close to my heart that I had meant something to someone. So, um, and I talked about how the most, one of the most important things we have is the meaning in our lives. Okay. I think I've made my point. So I got an email, um, from where is it? Okay, here we go from Johanna. Uh, Johanna writes this email. She says, I listened to your podcast about giving thanks and gratitude, and I could not agree with you more. Now, what she means by that is that I didn't expect people that I do things for to give me thanks and gratitude. I don't. I just like to carry that in my heart that I help them. So she says, how do I know about you? Well, I grew up in Edina, and I started listening to your show when I was about 11 or 12. I'm now almost 30, and I live in Madrid, Spain. I really enjoy this podcast because I constantly get feedback that I am too nice, too grateful, too generous, etc., etc. Well, the reason I do this is because I live my life according to the saying, treat others how you wish to be treated, not to complain, but I feel like most of my life I've been overlooked and not really been given credit where it's due. Now, I accept this is how life goes a lot of the time, but it would be nice to hear a thank you every once in a while. I will admit that it really hurts my feelings a lot, and maybe I'm overly sensitive, as my sister says, when I'm doing a lot of nice things for a while, and I'm still treated with little gratitude, or when I make one mistake, it's treated as zero tolerance. Again, I'm frequently told I'm too nice, and people take advantage. It makes me curious who would say such a thing about you, Dave. Don't listen. I always tell myself they are going through a tough time, or make someone else uh, make something else up to not let it get to me anyway. Love the show. Wish I could stream iHeart here in Spain. And thank you, Johanna. I appreciate that one. You know, I'm going to be honest with you. The person that did that, they might have been having a bad day. But <laughs> they must have a lot of bad days. And that's all I'm going to say about that. All right. Thank you, Johanna. I appreciate that. Another email is from um, uh, Vikas Puri. And I hope I said his name right. Now, I know Vikas follows me on Twitter because we talk about Boy Scouts and stuff once in a while. He writes... Uh, Dave, really digging your Take a Shower podcast. Just started listening last week. As a fellow scout leader, I'm thinking this would be a nice gift for boys that achieve Eagle Scout. We should have a few boys achieving this rank soon, including my younger son. My eldest got to Eagle three years ago, and I am Eagle class of 1987. Um, and he says, thanks for having meaning. Cheers from Vicus Puri. And Vicus, I, I hope I said your name right, number one. It could be Ficus. I'm not sure. Um, uh, but I will tell you this one. 
read the book before you give it to a boy because there's some sex stuff and there's some swearing and there's some stuff in there that's just the slightest bit, I don't know, edgy. It's not vulgar. I did not want to make it vulgar. But before you give it to an Eagle Scout, um, take a look. It might not be the right book for a 15-year-old boy. And I want to be fair about that. I want to be upfront. Um, hey, a side note, speaking of Boy Scouts, uh, my troop just admitted it's first girls. Yeah, we had our first girls admitted to the troop. And we're really excited about that because we love new members and it's going to add new life to the troop. And I love that. And people have said for a while, how do you feel about girls in scouting? I'm like, I don't know. How do you feel about girls in the military? I mean, I was at this big aviation expo, a girls in aviation day at the airport yesterday. And I watched five women speak. I remember a lot of what they said, but I remember two things in particular. Number one, the plane doesn't care if you're a man or a woman. Just like the outdoors or knots or fire or first aid, they don't care if you're a man or a woman. I don't care. Number two, I talked to or I got to talk with or I, I got to watch talk um, one of the first women pilots in the country. Now She's older now, but she showed pictures of when she was brand new back in the 60s or 70s or whenever it was. And she was one of the first women pilots in the country. And she flew on a 747. I mean, she flew a lot of planes, but she flew on a 747 also, which is that big ass plane with the double decker and, and it's world famous and whatever. And to fly it, they don't just pick anybody. You got to be good. So she flew the 747 and she talked about her career and she said, people ask me all the time, was it a problem for you as a woman back in the day? Now, listen to this, because this was really an eye opener for me. Was it a problem for to be a woman? She said, no, it really wasn't. She said, most of the men really treated me with a lot of respect and they were protective of me and they were watching out for you know, everything from passengers to unfair treatment or whatever. So she said, there were a few guys that were not easy to deal with. But she said, I would ask other people, including men, do you like those guys? And even the guys would say, no, I don't like him. And I thought that was a really big eye opener because even a generation or two ago, back in the 60s or 70s, whenever this was, that men were supportive. And I think that men, most men, I hope you'll agree, are good about that. Most men are not misogynistic, and I know that the media sometimes loves to portray all men, including your brother, your partner, your dad, your boyfriend, maybe you, as a terrible misogynistic man. And what she said was really like, yeah, if he's an asshole to women, he's probably just an asshole in general. I'm going to tweet that. Nah, I won't, but uh, I, that should be carved in stone. If he's an asshole to women, he's probably just an asshole in general. All right. I don't know what I'm going to do with that, but I feel it should be saved somewhere. <laughs> okay, moving on. Uh, we Let's see. We talked about... Oh, I want to do one more thing. Uh, and this was, um, again, from the Women's uh, Aviation Expo yesterday. Um, actually, I'll probably do two more things. Um, toward the end of the day, we had a big, huge crowd there yesterday, and it was a great day. It didn't rain. It wasn't too hot. It wasn't cold, and there were people everywhere, and it was awesome. Now, the hangar where women spoke was not centralized. It was a couple of hangars away. It was a 30-second walk down that way, so you had to find, you had to know where it was, then you had to go there, and so we would make announcements. We'd say, 
in the main hangar, we'd say, hey, there's going to be a great woman speaker. She's going to speak about, you know, flying planes and she's going to start in five minutes. And people would kind of trickle in. But I'll be honest with you, it was difficult to get people into this hangar to watch these speeches. And there was one woman and she wasn't a pilot. And I'll only say that I don't want to embarrass anybody, but but her topic might have been a little bit more esoteric than some of the other women who were talking about being a pilot. And so we couldn't get anybody over there. And we eventually said, hey, you know, we're going to push your speech back until we get people there because we're not going to embarrass you by letting you speak in front of four people. We eventually got 20 or 30 people and she was an excellent speaker. But it reminded me of a speech that I did that no one came to. Let me tell you the story. So there's a radio uh, convention that's in town every summer. And people from all over the country come to this. As a matter of fact, sometimes people from all over the world. And once in a while, they'll say, Dave, can you speak? Can you lead a panel? Can you be on a panel? Can you do this? Whatever. And most of the time, I'm happy to help out if I'm in town. Usually, it falls right around vacation time. But about 15 years ago, they said, Dave, Saturday morning, will you do this session and speak about morning radio on Saturday morning at 10 o'clock. Oh, yeah, sure, of course, I'm happy to do it. So I drive over to St. Paul, where we're having this convention, and I go in the room, and there's nobody there. I mean, there's like a couple of people, and, oh, this is this is not going very well. This is kind of embarrassing. And I did my speech because there was two people, one in particular that I can remember, who was very attentive, very kind, looked at me, and even though there were only about seven people in the room and five of them were organizers of this conference and they were there just because they had to be, but there were two people that came and I thought, you know what, we're gonna, I'm going to do my discussion. I have an audience of seven people and uh, <laughs> it was great. It went on for 15 or 20 minutes, maybe a half an hour, and at the end of it, you know, hey, thanks for coming, et cetera, et cetera. I found out later the two people that came were people who worked in the food and beverage department at the hotel. They were there to fill water glasses, to bring cookies, to, uh, I don't know, bring napkins, to set tables, to clean tables. But they were so polite that they, I remember they stood there. I don't remember why they didn't sit down, but they stood there. And I don't know, remember why I didn't catch on. They weren't wearing like aprons or anything like that. They were wearing like ties. So I thought, anyway, so here was a speech I did that absolutely no one came to. Is there a lesson in that? No, I don't think so. Except never agree to do a speech or an appearance unless you know there's going to be somebody there. Hey, let me tell you something. In radio, we've all got stories about doing an appearance where nobody showed up. Oh my God, I won't even bore you with stories, but we've all done like the grand opening of a waterbed store. I did did that one time when I was about 18 years old. Nobody showed up and the manager said, where is everybody? And I'm like, I don't know. Um, uh, you know, you do other, I, I think I did one time at a soccer equipment store, why they chose KWB to, to advertise their soccer equipment store. Nobody showed up. And uh, so sometimes, you know what, that's the way it is. Okay. Looking at the clock here, I got one more story that's a follow-up to last week's podcast when we talked about having meaning. Now, this is really interesting to me because I, I read this. I'm going to be real honest with you. 
I did not do the research on this story. I got this from a news article, and I'm going to find it here really quick because I don't believe, you know, the book is called Take a Shower, Show Up on Time, and Don't Steal Anything. I'm never going to steal somebody else's story and not give them credit for it. So this comes from the New Hampshire Union Leader, January 5th, 2019. So um, there's my shout out to the newspaper that first published the story. Now, I'm going to read the Dave Ryan abridged version of this story, but again, it speaks to meaning. And I'm going to read the I'm going to summarize the first half. So there's this amazing hiker and this is her hobby and her passion and she is a great hiker and her name is Pam Bales, B A L E S if you ever decide to look this up. And Pam Bales loves to go hiking, and she knows what she's doing. She's the kind of person who knows not only dress in layers, but to bring several different layers in her backpack and water and a first aid kit and emergency supplies. So even if she's going on like a six-hour hike, she'll leave a note in her car that says, hey, I'm you know on the dashboard. I'm going hiking up this way. I should be back by 3 o'clock, and um, et cetera, et cetera. She'll tell a couple of friends, hey, I'm going to go hiking. I should be back by 3 o'clock. And so she just knows her shit. So Pam is out hiking. Uh, I don't know the year. Oh, here it is. It was October 17th, 2010, and she's in Maine. And she goes out hiking by herself, and she's equipped, and she's ready, and everything's great. But the weather starts to get really bad. All of a sudden, she didn't expect this, but she's prepared for it. But she didn't expect it. It's kind of like you go out to play golf, and you're not expecting it to rain, but you're prepared for it because you got a rain jacket, you got a you know, a, I don't know, a poncho or an umbrella or whatever. So she's not expecting it, but she's prepared for it. So she is kind of making her way back, and she looks down, and she notices footprints. In the snow, it has just started to snow, and she notices footprints in the snow. One set of footprints, so they're alone. What's even worse is their sneaker footprints, so they're not even prepared with hiking boots. They just got on like their Nikes or their Adidas or whatever, and they're just walking in the snow. Now, she figures, because she's so experienced, that if this hiker came up here in sneakers, they're also unprepared for everything else. They're unprepared for the weather. They're unprepared for being cold, being hungry, food, etc. So she follows these and she starts yelling, hello, hello, not knowing how old they are. And maybe the person's just up the trail a couple of yards. So she notices that the sneakers go off the trail. Now she's really like, oh my God, I can't turn back because now this person, they're lost. So just picture like rugged mountains, trees, and you're miles from anywhere. So she follows them off into the trees and she's yelling and she gets out her survival whistle. So maybe somebody will hear her and she's blowing it. No response, no response. Finally, she comes around a corner and there's a man sitting there between two boulders and he is in every state of hypothermia or whatever it is where your mind, your brain starts to shut down. He's cold. His body temperature is dropping. He's shivering. And you get to a certain point where you don't even shiver anymore because your body has given up on trying to keep you warm. That's why you shiver because your body's trying to keep you warm. So he's a mess. I'm going to make this part here pretty quick. So she says, I'm going to take care of you. The guy can't speak. 
She gets out some of those um, hand warmers. She puts them in his in his shoes. She puts them in his armpits. She's got a sleeping bag, like a little sleeping bag, because remember, she's prepared. And she gets him in the sleeping bag, and she puts some more hand warmers on his crotch and his armpits, all those places where you get a blood flow. She gets him some hot chocolate out of a thermos, and she eventually gets him up and walking and kind of mumbling a little bit, and she gets him down the mountain. And it's hard. And a couple of times he gave up and he fell over into the fetal position because the temptation when you're freezing to death is to just fall over and go to sleep. She knew that would be a horrible thing. And she can't let him go because she's even put it herself at risk now, but she can't let him go. So she brings him down. They take him off the hospital. And she basically she rescues him. And they take him off the hospital, but she doesn't hear anything because it's none of her business. So here's how the story ends and how it all ties in with meaning. And I really like this. Check it out. And I'm going to read this. And again, it's not my story. Bales wouldn't get an answer until a week later when the president of her rescue group received a letter in the mail, a donation tucked between its folds. It read, I hope this reaches the right group of rescuers. This is hard to do, but must this is hard to do, but must try. Part of my therapy. I want to remain anonymous, but I was called John because she called him John because he couldn't he couldn't speak his name, so she kept calling him John. Uh, on Sunday, October 17th, I went up my favorite trail to end my life. Weather was to be bad. Thought no one else would be there. I was dressed to go quickly. Next thing I knew, this lady was talking to me, changing my clothes, giving me food, making me warmer. She just kept talking and calling me John, and I let her. Finally, I learned her name was Pam. Conditions were horrible, and I said, leave me and get going, but she wouldn't. Got me up and had me stay right behind her, still talking. I followed, but I did think about running off. She couldn't see me, but I only wanted to take my life, not anybody else's, and I think she would have tried to find me. The entire time, she treated me with compassion, authority, confidence and the impression that I mattered. There's that word, right? Mattered. With all that had been going wrong in my life, I didn't matter to me, but I did to Pam. She probably thought I was the stupidest hiker dressed like I was, but I was never put down in any way, chewed out, yes, but in a kind way. Maybe I wasn't meant to die yet. I somehow still mattered in life. I became very embarrassed later on and never really thanked her properly. If she's an example of your organization, you must be the best group around. Please accept this small offer of appreciation for her effort to save me beyond the limits of safety. No, did not seem to be in her mind. I am getting help with my mental needs. They will also help me find a job, and I have temporary housing. I have a new direction thanks to wonderful people like yourselves. I got your name from her pack patch and bumper sticker. My deepest thanks, John. Now, the first thing that I noticed in reading that, I did not expect that ending because I spend, I spent the first part of reading the article going, oh, wow, this is a cool story. She saved him, but okay, that's cool. People save people, that type of thing. Um, but when I found out that he was going there to kill himself and she, in that short amount of time, made him feel like he had meaning, I knew I had to share it with you on this podcast. I knew that I had to, because I think that we really stumbled on something last week when we talked about that. And I don't want to sit here and over-explain and overdo it, but just think about the meaning that you have to other people 
And when you feel down and you're depressed and you feel like shit, or if you ever feel about, I don't know, doing something to harm yourself, know that you have meaning. And I thought about this before I said this today. I thought, can I tell you that you have meaning to me even if we've never met before. And I know a lot of people listen to the podcast that I've met, some are my friends, but I know a lot of people, most people that listen to the podcast, I've never met. And I don't know you. But you have meaning to me because here you are listening to my podcast. Hey, listen, I'm just Dave from Colorado, but you have decided that you're going to spend some time and effort to listen to my podcast. So, of course, you have meaning to me. And aside from me, I know you have meaning in other people too. But here's the important thing. Let people know they have meaning and let them enjoy it. And that is all I'm going to say about that. Check out the Facebook page. Just search on Facebook. Take a shower. Show up on time and don't steal anything. It'll pop up. Uh, I'd love to have you like it. What was the phrase that I came up with earlier? I don't remember. What was the phrase that I came up with? Oh, shoot. Now it's going to bug me. I'm going to wind back and find out what it was. Okay. Uh, Also, send an email to... Dave Ryan at kdwb.com. Love to hear from you, your thoughts on the podcast. Um, if you have any ideas that you want me to talk about on the podcast, if you disagree with something on the podcast, I'd still love to hear from you, uh, even if I did something that you say, nope, I got to correct him on that one. Uh, also, check out the book. I mean, that's what it's all about is the book. Take a shower, show up on time, and don't steal anything. There's a Kindle version. There's the printed version. It's on Amazon. It's at bookstores. It's on itaskabooks.com. And thank you very much. I appreciate you listening to the podcast. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time on Take a Shower, Show Up on Time, and Don't Steal Anything. Anything.